I ask you to stand this morning and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. It is Ascension Sunday, and I have a few different passages to read to you this morning. I'm going to ask you only to turn to the first one because it's going to be kind of scattered throughout the New Testament. But if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and then stand with me as we read together God's word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Then I have two verses from Revelation. Revelation 19.16. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Revelation 22.20. The very last verse in the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Let the words I say be the thoughts of your heart articulated by my voice to your people. May they, with the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us into greater understanding, deeper faith, and abundant, fruitful lives that point only to you. To the glory of the Father, the majesty of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit be given all we offer. Amen. You may be seated. The royal wedding. You might have heard about it. Who's invited? Who's not invited? Who's wearing what? Who's going to speak? I've been interested in that. I think it's really cool that they're going to have a bishop from uh, America who's going to be preaching. All of these things have captivated imaginations around the world through the centuries. I'm sure some of us who are sitting here today 
remember the wedding of Prince Diana and Charles. That was certainly uh, Princess Diana and Prince Charles. Anyway, those guys, the royals, and how cool it was for people to say, oh, I was up all night, I watched the wedding, and her train that filled the cathedral, and how cool it was to think about who it is that is the king of a country we're no longer under the thumb of. But it has really been something that over the course of time, we have as people generally been fascinated by royalty, kings and kingdoms and what they look like. Some of our fantasy literature talks about them and how fascinated we are by kings and queens and quests and all of the things that go along with that. Well, when Jesus came to us, he came to us as a king. He didn't come with pomp and circumstance. And in fact, none of his life all the way through to his crucifixion had much pomp and circumstance associated with it. He was born in a barn. There's really not much pomp about that. And while angels sing, it was pretty much a closed choir concert. But over the course of his life, he taught what his kingdom looked like. He told his people what they should expect. He told everyone what would happen. Then he died, and he was buried, and he was resurrected. And as he gets ready to go into heaven, he's still teaching his disciples, he's still teaching his subjects what it looks like to be a subject of his kingdom. He's still teaching them. And as he finishes teaching them, he ascends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. And so it is that we learn that Jesus is a king. Now, what, like any king, before he leaves and goes off to sit on his throne, he gives a message. And the first text that we read this morning tells us about the ascension and about that message. It is the primary direction for the church, not just our church, but the church, universal, the church of Jesus, all those who follow him and worship him and live under his kingship are the church. And Jesus gives this instruction, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you've been here at all or if you've visited our website, you know that I really appreciate this message. Because one of the things that this message does is it starts by telling them where you are, be witnesses there. They were in Jerusalem. They were participating in all kinds of events and talking with Jesus. And they were in Jerusalem and Jesus told them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, the place they already were. That is the core of what we are here at Moments First. 
we call moments in the surrounding communities where we find ourselves are Jerusalem. We carry forward the very mission that God gave through Jesus in Jerusalem as he was being ascended out here. We carry it out in moments in Bourbonnais, in Bradley, in Mantino, in the places where we live and where we work and we are actively invested in the people around us. And it's why we continue to call our church moments first. Some would say that's very archaic. Nobody calls their church first church anymore. Why not life or compass or something point? Make sure you put an E on the end of that point so it's really hip. I'm not saying those names are wrong. I'm just saying that they're modern and they attract people. That's really cool. But there is nothing wrong with being called moments first if we have a reason for being called moments first. And we do. Our reason for being called moments first is we believe that our mission is to the place where we are first. Someone say it's an optimistic name. Uh, are you planning a moments second, Church of the Nazarene? <laughs> well, not this week. Uh, it would be kind of cool if we got to that place, but it is our intentional mission to think about our congregation in terms of a launching point of witnesses to tell about Jesus where they are. We're telling about Jesus, who he is, what he's about, what he's done for us, what it looks like to live that out. We are following our king's command. Go and tell and live lives that are fruitful with my fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. In our second text this morning, we read that Jesus has always been and will always be, and that after he came and did the work of God among us, he sat down at God's right hand. Now, we've been thinking about that in terms of kingship today and what it means to sit down on a throne, but... The first thing that that phrasing brought to mind for me was images of TV sitcom dads. You know the ones. Al from Married with Children, Archie Bunker from All in the Family, even recently the dad from the Goldbergs, where the man of the house comes in from a long day of work, puts himself in various states of undress, pops open a cold one, and plops down on the recliner. Usually before he even says anything to anyone. It's a picture of uh, weariness, of carrying this big load that now you can sit down and relax and relieve yourself of. But that's not the image that Jesus gives us. Jesus doesn't get home to the throne and then plop down and relax. His job is not done. Yes, he has conquered death. Yes, he has done all of those things while he was here, but he continues to intercede for us. He speaks to the Father on our behalf. He walks with us. 
He knows what we're going through. He speaks to us. He continues to work through us in the here and now. Jesus is alive and reigning right now as a king. Jesus sat down to show us that he has conquered sin and death. It was the sitting down of someone who has completed a solid mission. And the sitting down of someone who continues to wait for the next part of his mission to unfold. We don't have to live in fear of sin and death because he has defeated them. So as much as the king has commanded us to go and to witness to what he has done, he remains with us and reminds us that he is victorious. He lives and he reigns. We serve a risen king. The final part of our text today is the reminder of what King Jesus is waiting for. He is coming again. One day we know he will return. It is promised. We don't know what that's going to look like exactly. But we do know he will come as king. As resurrected and living and victorious king. We know he will serve as judge. We know we, the church universal, will be presented as his bride. And we will join together in a celebration supper. Just as we know Jesus lives now, just as we commemorate the death of Jesus with our communion supper, we also look forward with our communion to the coming king, the coming wedding supper of the Lamb. The king will come and reign victorious. All things will be made right. There will be no more war, no more tears, no more death. There will be no more hate, no more poverty, no more starvation, no more illness. This is why the prayer at the very end of scripture, the very last four words, are amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We expect his coming. And while we do, we live into the command he gives for us to be witnesses to his truth, to the lives he's called us to live. We know he lives because his kingdom you and me and all Christians throughout time continues to be. We are the kingdom, the witnesses to it, the ones who live out its principles, and the ones who cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. We await the return of our King.